have two guests, Sharon Oppenheimer and Tal Denaro. Um, and before we start and digging deep into the subject matter, who was Richard David Falco? David Berkowitz. <laughs> exactly. So David Richard Berkowitz had a different name when he was born June 1st, 1953. And we know him as the son of Sam or the 44 caliber killer. So he's one of the most famous, in a way, serial murders in history. And he basically was on a killing spree in, in New York, uh, starting on July 29, 1976. And uh, before we come to Carl, who is a victim of Berkowitz and su survived the attack. Uh, Sharon, uh, how we both started talking about the case or why we put our attention to the case? Um, yeah, the story was like this. We both watched um, this documentary, um, Sons of Sam. Yes. And uh, there was Carl, an interview with Carl, a short interview with Carl. And it was more about Maury Terry, who was an investigative journalist. And he made the blueprint for all this um, uh, Son of Sam conspiracies. Yes, it was for both of us kind of watching this and we felt something is not right in the official story about the whole thing and the main basically subject of the documentary was that there was a cult there were more people involved and a very like sinister kind of situation occurred so uh jumping to to carl denaro first of all thank you so much to be from new york Uh, here in the podcast. Oh, thanks for having me. No, no, absolutely. And I mean, that. what was the night, what changed your life forever? Can you maybe explain what happened? Um, yeah, the, the, yeah, I certainly can. It's, 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 uh, it's not that exciting. Um, uh, the, <laughs> most of the story uh, happens, happens later after the shooting, but... Um, just to set it up, um, I was basically hanging out in a local bar and um, uh, came into the bar about midnight and ran into a few friends, uh, uh, including uh, Rosemary Keenan, who, who I had you know, gone out on a few dates with. I knew her from college. And um, after a couple hours, uh, you know, just, you know, listening to music and drinking, we decided to leave. Uh, in essence, to go make out in a in her car, so we uh, we got into her car, and she just started driving. Uh, we didn't really have a um, a particular place to go to. It wasn't, you know, un unlike the reports that you've probably heard. Um, most of the Son of Sam uh, shootings uh, did not happen in Lovers Lanes, um, and including including my shooting. So anyway, we we wound up. Um, just driving around my neighborhood and um 
basically looking for a, uh, you know a dark uh, a, a, a darkened street that we could uh, you know make out in the car, and uh, we wound up at this particular street, 159th Street and 33rd Avenue in Flushing, Flushing Queens, which is part of New York City, um, and uh, we were there for maybe maybe five minutes, and uh, and the next thing I know, the windows exploded. Or, or the window exploded. Um, the passenger side. I was sitting in the passenger side uh, of the Volkswagen. Rosemary was uh, obviously in the driver's seat. And um, yeah, next thing you know, I had glass all over me. Uh, you know, auto glass shattered. And I had um, my hands. I knew my hands were bleeding from the glass. And um, I really didn't know what was going on. I don't recall hearing gunshots. Um, but I knew, but I knew I was, I knew I was in trouble. Um, I also knew I was hurt, but I didn't realize the extent um, of my injuries. So when that happened, I yelled to Rosemary. I said, "Let's get out of here! You know, start the car." And um, she she uh, started the car, drove, went down the block, made a right hand turn, and then I passed out. And um, I came to probably about 15 seconds later. Um, and I, like I said, it was my neighborhood, not her neighborhood. So she didn't know where, exactly where she was and or what to do for that matter. Um, and um, I directed her back to the bar that we started at because we, we were about three blocks from, from the bar. And, uh, you know, she pulled into, uh, in front of the bar, I jumped out of the car and walked into uh, the bar and, uh, the doorman at the bar said, you know, you don't look too good. And I said, I don't feel good. I said, I think the car exploded. Um, with that, he sat me down and I had very long hair at the time. And um, my, it turns out my hair was holding uh, the blood in from my head wound. Um, and my shirt just turned blood red. So with that, my friends at the bars uh, realized I needed to uh, get to an emergency room. And, um, and we uh, walked, walked to, walked to uh, his, my friend's car and uh, drove to uh, Flushing Hospital. And um, I walked in the emergency room and said, you know, I need help. <laughs> so where did bullets hit you? I mean, you, I think you got shot five times, right? So how is that then possible? With a forty-four caliber to be just alive. All right. So yeah. Well, well caliber, yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, I, I didn't get shot five times. Um, to, to the best of uh, to the best of our knowledge, uh, four shots were fired. Uh, and one, well, only one hit me. Okay. Um, in, in the head, in the back of the head. Yeah. Um, uh, Rosemary was not hit at all. Um, and, and the police found, found a, a bullet, um, well, a bullet fragment lodged into the uh, dashboard of the car. Uh, there was one bullet that went through um, the roof of the car, which I believe that's the bullet that that um, hit, hit me in the back of the head. Um, and I guess for, for that reason alone, it says why, why I'm here to talk about it because it, the bullet went through the roof of the car, obviously slowed the bullet down tremendously, uh, and then and then entered the back of my head. Um, funny story, ironic story. Uh, the police had the the car in in uh, in the pound for about a week, uh, you know, as evidence, and um, 
he eventually gave Rosemary the car back about a week later. And uh, when she got it home, she took, uh, there was a blanket in the back, uh, in the back well behind the back seat. And she, she was taking the blanket out so she could wash it. And uh, she kind of shook, you know, shook the blanket and a bullet fell out. So, you know, it's kind of funny if the police had the car for a week and um, never, never bothered to check that. Anyway, she gave she gave the bullet to uh, her dad, who, who was uh, an NYPD uh, detective, and um, it went into uh, the evidence, uh, the evidence envelope. So that was not the first time like Berkowitz or this kind of things happened. But normally he was like kind of targeting women, right? So, but was it not at that time already scary in New York to even make out in a car or something? I mean, I'm just thinking about. Yeah, yeah. No, that's a valid question. Um, But, uh, you know, you have to realize New York City is. It, it, I mean, it, it's it's big in, in landmass and certainly with uh, the the population. Um, I'm not sure what the population was back then, but um, I'm gonna I'm gonna venture a guess at 12, 15 million people in the five boroughs. Um, so what what you've read about and heard about in the 70s in New York City, um, you know, with the the buildings burning, uh, the, the the murder rate. Uh, being, you know, it was one of the worst, worst years, uh, 76, 77 was one of the worst years in uh, crime uh, for New York City. I lived in a, I lived in a, basically an upper middle class neighborhood. Um, and that was, uh, that was totally foreign to, uh, to my neighborhood. Um, you know, we all knew about it, you know, the Bronx was burning and most of these crimes that you, that you read about and heard about happened in other boroughs, um, and parts of Queens, but not, not North Flushing. So, um, uh, yeah, so there, there was no, there was no fear of, you know, making out or doing whatever you wanted to do. And it's, it, it's very, uh, peaceful neighborhood. Um, uh, low, very low crime. If there was crime, it was a, a burglary or you know someone stealing a car. Uh, but there was, you know, murders. M- murders just really didn't happen in the neighborhood. Um, in addition to that, um, I was the second second victim, so there was there was no son of Sam. Um, you know, uh, the first, as you, as you pointed out, the first shooting was in July of '76. Mine was October of '76. Um, the 44 caliber killer didn't come into, uh, uh, into, into the lexicon until, um, I believe, uh, late February of 77. Um, and then when the shooter or shooters, uh, dropped the note at, at the, uh, fifth, um, uh, crime scene, uh, he identified it. Right, and identified himself as as the son of Sam. So that's you know. Uh, uh, so originally it was the forty four caliber killer. Um, quickly changed to uh, son of Sam. I guess that was a little bit sexier than a forty four caliber killer, and uh, that's what stuck the son of Sam. Um, so you were in the hospital. So what happened then? Like how long you you got a very big operation? Still have a metal plate in your head. Yeah. So, so how long you were then basically out or in a way incapable of finding out 
what happened to me. Right. So um, I was in a hospital for three weeks, and um, uh, and I must I must add it was pretty painful. Uh, you know, back then I don't know what they do now, but back then uh, because it was a head injury, there was no um, the pain. They, they didn't administer painkillers. Uh, they just gave Tylenol you know, uh, an aspirin, uh, which you can imagine doesn't really do much good with, uh, with a hole in your head. Um, so I was in the hospital for three weeks and then, then I, um, recuperated at my mother's house, uh, for three months. Uh, and I really wasn't allowed to go out because there was, um, there was a hole in my head and, uh, there was nothing but a, a, a flap of skin protecting my brain from, the outside world. So um, the only the only time I, I was able to go out um, in that three month period, actually I, I take that back. I, uh, I I don't think I went out at all. Um, in January I went back um, to the hospital to get a plate put in my head. Um, and then it, it, it was obviously more more uh, recuperation at my mother's house um, during that period and. And again, I'm not, I'm not, I really don't remember. Uh, I did, I did have to visit my uh, neurosurgeon uh, once a week. And um, I, I'm not sure if that started in between, you know, getting shot and the, uh, the plate being put in my head, or if that those appointments happened after the plate was put in my head. But um, I do, re I do remember fondly uh, getting in the car with my uh, stepdad and uh, mom uh, once a week to go driving to Manhattan to the neurosurgeon's office because um, that would that was based on my social life for for eight months. Um, yeah, I was a, like I said a virtual virtual prisoner in my mother's uh, mother's house until uh, uh, probably about May uh, May of seventy seven. I was able to um, pretty much resume a normal life. So uh, in that time period. What was in your mind, like, like saying, like, who could did that to me? Like, I assume you maybe thought that there was a targeted attempt on your life, or what you were actually thinking at that point. Sure, um, yeah, that's it. Uh, well, as you can imagine, I, I I was thinking about a lot of things, and I guess the main question was, you know, who, you know, who who didn't like me that much? They'd want to shoot me. Um, yeah. Like I said earlier, I had uh, I had long hair, and um, I smoked pot, and I drank, um, and um, the police had nothing to go on, so they just assumed it was uh, a drug deal, a drug deal gone gone wrong. And I told him, I said it was it is definitely not a drug deal. I said I you know I smoke pot, I, you know, but I I don't you know I'm not a dealer, uh, never was, never will be. Um, but um, they had nothing else to go on, so I kind of, kind of had to like defend myself against the uh, being accused of being a drug dealer. Um, Why I'm handling, you know, being you know have with a you know getting shot, um, uh, and the police came to they can they came to the conclusion that it was a drug deal. So they they gave me a list of uh, about a hundred names of uh, local people who had been arrested. And, um, excuse me. And, um, you know, they wanted to know, like, you know, look at this list. Is that, you know, do you think any of them could have done it? And, and it was, it, 
I mean, I they did the best they could, but uh, I saw you know some of my friends' names were on the list, uh, but they they were they were on the list for like you know public intoxication, uh, you know, um, get, getting caught with a, a nickel bag of pot, uh, stealing a bike, you know, not. not you know, nothing to lead you to think that these people would would uh, murder me. Um, but, um, you know, so I live kind of with the fear of, like, who are they going to come, you know, whoever did this, are they going to come back? Did they actually target me? Um, or was I just in the wrong place at the wrong time? Um, I didn't really have any, any additional information than what I was reading in the newspaper. Um, you know the the police accepted the list that they gave me. They really um, they really didn't communicate communicate with me uh, on a daily basis. Uh, they probably they probably contacted me well, I don't know maybe four or five times during the whole between yeah it, you know uh, from when I got shot until when they arrested Berkowitz. Um, yeah, they, they probably, I probably talked to the police about, uh, you know, four, maybe five times. Um, and ironically, when they did arrest Berkowitz, um, they didn't contact me. You would think, you would think the police department would say, Hey, you know, we, we, you know, we got the guy that shot you. Um, I found out through, uh, through a reporter, a reporter actually called my sister who lived in her own apartment um, like two o'clock in the morning on, um, I guess it would be August 11th of 76, uh, 77, and said, you know, it was Carl there. And she said, no, he doesn't live here. And he said, well, they, they, caught, they caught the son of Sam. So then my sister called me, and that's how I found out that uh, they arrested David Barkowitz. On the attack, basically, Rosemary or you or eyewitnesses saw nothing or did they saw some kind of perpetrator with a gun run around or something like this? Yeah, we, we, I don't remember seeing anything. Um, and to this day, I, I can honestly say I, I didn't see anything amiss. Um, I didn't see anyone. Rosemary had told her father um, that, and again, I, I'm not sure if it was when we were pulling into the parking spot or when she, we were pulling away um, or just when we were driving around before we parked. I'm not really sure when, but she did tell her father that uh, she remembers seeing somebody walking their dog. Um, so, you know, uh, for the next week or two, the, supposedly the, the police were canvassing the area, you know, late at night, two in the morning, three in the morning, uh, hoping to um, interview somebody walking their dogs and were you out that night? Um, I do remember right before we pulled into her parking spot, um, we, we were actually at a stop sign uh, and we let a car go, she let a car go by the avenue. Um, but the car was probably, you know, I mean, it wasn't going slow. So I, I really don't think that has anything to do with, with the shooting. I just think it was a random car, you know, driving down the avenue. Um, other than that, um, nobody saw anything. And from what I understand, none of the neighbors heard, heard any of the gunshots either. Now, of course, it's two o'clock in the morning. Uh, most people, you know, especially in that neighborhood, um, you know, most people are sleeping. And so it, it's, to me, it's not that surprising. You know, by the time you hear a gunshot um, or two or three, uh, by the time you hear it and wake up and go to the window, it's, you know, probably it's, the whole thing is over with. So 
um, and then you just go back to bed because uh, like like myself um, m most people most people never really heard a gunfire unless you're a hunter you know I, I've, I've never heard yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, I've seen, I've seen movies that, you know, I've seen it on TV, okay. but, uh, I've actually never heard a gunshot. Um, but, um, I think I would, it, again, you know, your mind plays games, uh, you know, especially when you've been, uh, you know, uh, you know, a, a trauma, like getting shot in the head, um, uh, you know, adrenaline takes over and, this is what people have told me anyway. I, I, I you know, I'm certainly not a, a professional in, in this field, but uh, I, I can tell you that I didn't, uh, I didn't hear hear anything, which uh, was kind of strange because obviously I was close enough to get shot at. Yeah, during your time of the recovery, the the son of Sam started really killing. Basically, then it turned into this kind of serial murder situation investigation. Everybody was in uproar. Did, did you ever saw it when the November shooting happened, the January 77 shootings, that it has anything to do with your case? Not really. Um, the first shooting was in the Bronx. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, for those not familiar with the way the city's set up, uh, even though it's all part of the city, uh, the, the five boroughs are very distinct, uh, different communities. And even within within each borough, uh, each neighborhood is a pretty distinct, um, you know, uh, you know, you have like, for example, Queens, there's parts of Queens that um, are mansions and, uh, you know, um, you know, to five car garages and there's other parts of Queens where there's, you know, 20, 30 story, um, apartment buildings that, uh, you know, that you, you wouldn't want to be walking, walking down the street at, at two in the morning. So, um, yeah, so it, 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 there was just, it was just very, uh, um, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like, you know, a, a varied, um, uh, type of community. Um, so <laughs> the reason I went through all that is because the, the first shootings in, in the Bronx, uh, my shooting was in Queens, um, and it's separated by, you know, by the East River and bridges. And um, even though it's the same police department, you know, back then they really didn't have the, um, the technology to, um, to track, uh, you know, shootings uh, or, or any, any kind of crime. It would, it, it, it today, like I always say this, you know, today the uh, 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 Son of Sam type uh, assault, uh, um, it could certainly happen, but it wouldn't. It wouldn't take the police thirteen months to uh, to to figure it out. Um, I would say, after two shootings, um, no matter where they were, uh, I think the cops would be able to put together. Um, hey, we you know we might have some, uh, you know. Uh, it might be the same person uh, doing these crimes, you know, but back then you couldn't, it was impossible to do. Um, so let me see, after, after the fist shooting uh, is when uh, the, the shooter left a note um, to, uh, to Captain Borelli, who, uh, who was pretty high-ranking high uh, NYPD official. And that, that really began the, um, that, that's when the, people started 
you know, getting getting nervous. You know, there was when when I got shot. Um, I think I think there might have been like a, a maybe you know five or six sentence uh, article. You know, twenty year old gets shot. Um, you know, in, in Flushing, and that you know it was in and out of the news in, in the day. Uh, I don't even think the TV uh, TV news covered it. Um, I've I've, yet, I've only found one article about me getting shot. Um, and it was in a local um, community paper. It, it didn't even make like the New York Times or the Daily News or any of the big big papers in New York. Um, but uh, after the sixth shooting, yeah, after the sixth shooting, which is in Forest Hills, um, that's that's when the the police commissioner and the mayor of New York uh, had a press conference uh, stating. Hey, we got a serial killer, uh, and these these so-called you know random shootings that have happened over the last seven seven months uh, actually are connected. Um, and what they had in common was a forty-four caliber bullet. So March tenth of seventy-seven is when you know we we kind of forget you know it's, it's forty-five, forty-seven years later, um, and you know people. People remember that there was mayhem going on with the son of Sam, but what a lot of people forget is that the mayhem was it was actually from March 10th to August August 10th when they arrested Berkowitz. Um, but uh, not not to diminish the you know the the, the craziness and, and you know those four months were um, were absolutely you know crazy. You know, I mean, every everyone was uh, running for cover. Six killed, eleven wounded. Uh, without the stabbings, if if the stabbings would be added on, and then it was all between July 29, 1976 to July 31st, 1977. Uh, so, uh, Claude, <laughs> so uh, what what when we started talking, I want to go a little backwards. So what what was your how you started your investigation? So I have to say, like you met Carl, you have also contact to Berkowitz himself. So just tell us how you went into that subject matter. Um, yeah, uh, the story is like this. Uh, in in Israel, Berkowitz is, uh, or the whole son of Sam thing, is widely unknown. Maybe now more because of this documentary, uh, Sons of Sam. Um, I remember I was still in the army, that's more than 20 years, and there was a documentary not made in Israel, in English language, and I didn't remember or didn't understand the name of the guy, but I saw the, this uh, footage of his arrest, and the first thing, the thing I, I, I thought when I saw him, I thought, oh my God, he's Jewish. I can do a thing like this. So I saw this series Mindhunter. I don't know if you saw it, Carl. Yeah, I, I watched that show. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was more funny. It was a fiction, a fiction show about profilers, right? Yeah, oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, but at least the guy looked more than Berkowitz. Yeah, and there was this documentary from from Josh Seaman, I guess was his name, Sons of Sam. And uh, it was very impressive. Uh, good music, edited good. And I said to Uwe, did you watch this? 
and uh, we both were very surprised. Yeah. Very positive surprise, and and yeah. uh, it's like I mean we researching a lot of different subject matters in the last few years, and a lot of times uh, things are not. Uh, what the, what the history said, because I think documentary films in general um, are reflecting more and more that history, how it was written, a lot of times was not exactly how it gets teached or how, when let's say the, the mass media is done with a subject matter, a lot of times it's not the end of the story, it's not even the beginning of the story, and a lot of information's were just not there. And uh, that is why I think uh, we digged into it. And then uh, uh, Sharon is like uh, moving, move deep into it. And then how you contacted Carl and how you contacted Berkowitz in jail, he got six life sentences. So what, how you did that? Yeah, uh, so, um... First, I went, there were several groups, you know, uh, they, uh, who are into this subject, uh, Son of Sam. And uh, some of these uh, investigators were very hostile to me, you know. They said, where do you come from? You are from New York City? Uh, no, I'm from Israel. And it was like, yeah, go back to your camels. What are you doing here? You know, and, and things like this. <laughs> and um, I never met such hostile Americans, really. <laughs> Usually <laughs> Americans were very polite, yeah, very polite and very friendly and they helped, you know. And uh, this was, but in one of these groups, I hear that Carl is on, on Facebook and has a Facebook group. And this was for me the moment to look for it. And the other thing was, I watched uh, uh, a few interviews with, with Berkowitz. And in, in one interview with Larry King, Larry King was also Jewish. Uh, and he was very tough with him in this interview. Uh, he, he asked him, why did you leave Judaism? And he said, no, I'm still a Jew. And then I thought, yeah, I think I think I can contact him and he will answer me because I hear that he converted to Christianity. Maybe he he doesn't want to have co any contact with us anymore. You understand? And then I found how to use ch this JPay system uh, to write him an email, and I wrote him an email. Oh, shalom, shalom, and, and things like this. And I, I, my name is Sharon, I'm from Israel. And I was waiting four days, five days, and suddenly I had an answer. And... So, I wanted to interrupt quick, so that pay system with email, so what does that mean? Like he has access to pay. once a week or every day, and you can email him and then he can check... It's an email system, it is, it's an email system. And it's but an email system. But he doesn't have computer. No, I, no, I, 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 I can. Have, the way it's set up is um, in in the common room where the prisoners um, can watch TV. They have a kiosk set up, and there's tablets. I think there's like six tablets in like a round uh, kiosk, and um, 
it's through the system, as Sharon said, uh, JPay. And what happens is you send an email and the prison officials read the email, make sure there's nothing nefarious going on. And, uh, if, and if, it's, if it passes their approval, they tell the prisoner, you have, you have a message, you have an email. So, you know, go to, and they, they each have their own login ID and um, they get to see the email. And they're also able to, um, they're also able to respond to the email at that same kiosk and type in. That's the only um, um, access they have. It's, it's not like they have, like you said, it's not like they're walking around with a laptop that they can email uh, anyone they want. It all goes through the prison system. Yeah. So, Sean, uh, he basically, from what I understand is that in the beginning of your investigation, basically, you thought that he was not the only killer, that, that there were other people involved. There was a whole group who was maybe a victim. We talked a lot about it, a victim of that cult group or whatsoever. What is a little also in the documentary on Netflix kind of implied but now you think different so just tell me what what steps you uh went through basically to come to a different conclusion and then we come to uh, like about his uh all his investigation and, and the book he wrote and so on you know there is um a website and it's called uh the people versus david berkowitz uh, and you can see his letters that he wrote um, for, to his um, psychiatrist, uh, Dr. Abrahamson. And it shows a completely different picture. I was confused. And then later I said to myself, there are still so many questions open. I cannot come to a final conclusion. You know what I mean? Uh, when I saw this, these letters, I mean, it's more than 40 years ago. People can change. A part of these letters is very, very honest. And the other thing, the other ones, I don't know what to think about. There is no final conclusion if he was uh, part of a cult, if he was the soul shooter, as I said, because there are things I have no answer for this. Okay, but let's break it. Let's break it down a little backwards. So, the, for for Carl, then the question is: When you got basically confronted from the police that they, I mean, I assume they said we think that Bakowitz shot you, or was it yourself who shot Bakowitz? Like, what what was the process? Uh, and then what you did in connection with this uh, you you followed the the trial and uh, just tell tell us yeah uh, what so you did. i uh <laughs> although i've been accused of uh, inserting myself into this under sam i i did not the uh, the nypd told me that um the bullet fragments that they were able to um uh collect from from my shooting scene um Although the, the the fragments were were not um, not good enough to uh, conclusively say it came from the same gun as the other shootings, 
Um, and it, this is a problem with all the uh, shootings, except for one. Um, the bullets were just so so deformed that they um, they could ascertain that it was a forty four caliber. Um, they could they they couldn't. Um, there's right. contention there, but they, they couldn't prove that it came from the same gun or multiple guns. The only thing that they really can prove is there were it, it was uh, we were shot by a forty four caliber bullet. Um, so that I mean that's that's how I got involved in, in the Son of Sam. They told me I was shot by a forty four, and then six months later when they realized they started putting two and two together and comparing the five different shootings in in two different boroughs um they're saying no that this is definitely this is you know all these these five so-called random shootings are not random at all they were all done by the serial killer um so that that's how uh, how, however you want to put it, that's how I was inserted into the Son of Sam. Um, I, I know, I know as, as I said earlier, I don't, I don't have any special, um, back then, I had no special um, uh, treatment from the police. I knew, I got all my information from the newspapers and 6 o'clock news, um, just like everyone else. Um, so that that's how, that's how it started. Um, and now, as as time progressed, um, and there's there's a few a few different things. Uh, I went in January of eighty nineteen eighty. I went um, to court with uh, with all, with the other victims and um, um, basically to figure out percentages if there is a movie made or a book made. Um, what would be the percentages that each victim got? from the proceeds. And during that hearing, uh, one of the lawyers kept telling the judge, you know, he kept saying, judge, other people are involved, other people are involved. And I turned to my lawyer and said, what is he talking about? And he, and, and he said, he goes, he thinks other people were involved besides David Barkowitz. I said, oh, interesting. Um, and then seven years later, or eight years later, uh, Maury Terry writes his book that lays out um, the conspiracy theory of, uh, of of the Son of Sam shootings. Um, in 1990, I meet um, uh, NYPD ballistics detective who told me um, he worked on my case and um, he put in a report that a, a 90 pound weakling or a woman shot me. Um, and then in 93, David Berkowitz did a, um, a jailhouse interview with Maury Terry, and he point blank says, you know, he's asked, did you shoot Carl Denaro? And Berkowitz says, no. And um, he said, do you know who was? And he says, yes. And then he said, was it a man? He said, no, it was a woman, yes. So um, from that, that, that was, for me, that was like the, um, the final piece. I mean, I, 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 I just can't go back uh, with those four pieces of uh, um, uh, information that I that I collected over a fifteen year period.
mean, I, 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 I just can't go back uh, with those four pieces of uh, um, uh, information that I that I collected over a fifteen year period. Um, there's no way that, there's no way these people could have talked to each other. Um, you know, I mean, Harry Lipstick, the lawyer, nineteen eighty. The um, you know, Mor Maury Terry wrote his book, uh, and he never contacted me. So, I mean, it was just, it was eight. And when I did meet him uh, years later, I asked him about the ballistics uh, detective. Uh, his name was Joe Quirk. And he said, no, I never heard of him. So um, these are the four independent stories, if you will, all, all pointing me to the same conclusion that um, other people were involved. But going backwards, uh... If no witnesses were there, and it's just a 44 caliber, right? So how somebody knows what kind of person pulled the trigger? I mean, to say like it's a child or a woman. Well, uh, yeah, I, okay. I, I, I hear what you're saying. You, so you're, you're referring to the uh, ballistics detective saying it was, yeah. Um, I believe, um, and, and unfortunately, uh, Joe Quirk has passed away. Um, and I, I really regret not asking him this follow-up question um, back in 1990. Um, where, where did you know, where'd you get, where'd you come to that conclusion that it was a 90-pound weakling or a woman? Um, I've, spoke, I've spoken to other uh, ballistic detectives, uh, and their best guess is um, um, just based on, based on nothing but the wildness of the shooting. Um, you know, uh, there was, you know, like I, I said earlier, I'm not really, like I said earlier, there was a bullet found in the, in the rear well of, uh, of the car. Um, you know, 44 caliber is a pretty big bullet. The fact that I'm here today talking to you, um, you know, when, you know, my head should have been splattered like a watermelon, um, uh, you know, it, it kind of leads, you know, it, the, the guess, the guess is, he came to that conclusion based on the fact that I was still alive, and there was, you know, bullet fragments in the dashboard, bo bullet, a bullet in the back of the car, and the fact that I was still alive. Yeah. I mean, I shot a lot of guns in my life, and normally, let's say, if you want to hit a target, you do a twenty-two or nine millimeter, but the forty-four is like extremely hard to control. Right. So in the sense that. So you have two options. It was a totally, let's say, shooter who doesn't really is a good shooter and is mm -hmm. just overwhelmed by the bang and the move of the gun. Or you have really like a woman or something trying hard, but just to be able to really... Right. But based on Berkowitz, like basically killings, was it not more like... Would he not shot Rosemary? I mean, that is the... Well, that that's one of the one of the theories that you know that we'll probably never get an answer to. But um, you know, I did have long hair, and um, my hair was actually longer than Rosemary's, and she was in a driver's seat. And you know, normally yeah. or typically, the, you know, the guy's driving and the woman's in the passenger uh, side. Um, I mean, I that's pretty weak. Um, that's pretty weak evidence. Uh, I'll, I'll be the first to admit that. Um, but um, I, you know, the fact that she didn't get shot at all was uh, was strange, especially since the wildness of the shooting. And 
another point I want to make is, uh, you know, it's it's kind of weird that um, uh, my shooting was was very, um, you know, it, it, it was all over the place. Uh, you know, he Berkowitz has said that he, um, which I don't believe, but he says that he only used one hand, which is why it was wild. Um, he also said we were in a red Volkswagen and we were in a blue Volkswagen. Um, I know it's a small point, but um, uh, David Berkowitz has been known to um, have a flat out lie. Um, so, you know, uh, and he, he told me, I, I, I've also uh, um, have been corresponding with Berkowitz and I actually met, met with him. Um, and he told me that he saw me get shot. Uh, you know, he was he was he was definitely there, which is why he had all this information to tell the cops. Of course, some of the information is wrong. Um, so, I, I, you know, I I, I, I mean, there is, I can't I can't prove to you. Um, I can't prove to you anything. I can only I can only tell you what what I know from ballistics, what I know from um, police interviews and what I know from what, what uh, Berkowitz has said. So. Tell me about Moriarty's basically conspiracy theory. So what was his idea, how it all came down basically, and what Berkowitz's function was? Yeah, well, I mean, his, his theory, basically his, his theory was that there was this satanic cult um, that, um, met in Untermeyer Park in, in Yonkers, not too far from where Berkowitz lived. Um, and there was um, X amount of people. And now one of the letters that the shooter left was uh, they, they, you know, they, they uh, gave some clues. And one of the clues was 22 disciples of hell. So, you know, it's, it was kind of thought of that there's 22 people in this group. Um, that has never been um, that has never been proven. Um, I, I really don't think the 22 disciples of hell has anything to do with a, a, n a number of people. I think it has more to do with an address, uh, 22 Wicker Street, which is around the corner from, from Berkowitz. Um, but, you know, M Maury wrote his book in 1987. Um, I, I, we've learned, we've learned a lot, um, between, uh, 1987 and today. Um, earlier, Sharon mentioned, uh, she mentioned the, um, the people versus David Barkowitz, um, which is a wealth of information. Um, just, just so everyone knows that information was released in June of this year. So it's it, that, that information has been out there for four months. So, um, you gotta be, you gotta forgive me. I spent forty five years uh, as a, a passive as a passive a participant in the beginning, and then from like ninety four, ninety four on, a very active researcher working with Maury Terry, working with other law enforcement um, uh, journalists, and and just people who were interested, and we have filed. When I say we, I mean the son of Sam research community have filed uh, FOIA's, you know, Freedom of Information Act uh, request. And um, we've got literally nothing. And um, 
I, I, you know, I've done some research on, on actually on, on foyers and how to, how to present them. And it's, it's, you have to be so exact. Um, it, there's a little bit of luck and a lot of skill in, in filing a FOIA to get information. Um, Yonkers police department, for example, constantly just writes back. We have not this information you're looking for. Um, that may or may not be true, but, um, lo and behold, during the, the during the, um, pandemic, um, uh, a doctor, uh, uh, an education doctor, um, watched the Netflix, uh, show and decided to, um, to start filing FOIAs and lo and behold, he, he obviously knows what he's doing because he has gotten thousands, thousands of documents and, um, probably about a hundred audio, um, interviews, uh, done by the uh, Queens DA, the Brooklyn DA, um, and again, this all came out and in, in, it started coming out in June of 2022. So, um, some people, um, actually Sharon <laughs> alluded to this person earlier, the, the nasty, uh, the nasty American, um, he's taken upon himself to, to take these, this, what we call it the data dump and, um, and refute everything that Maury Terry says, um, I, I've said this from the very beginning, long before this data dump. Maury Terry definitely got some things wrong. Uh, things just don't check out later on. You know, we did research and it's like that just doesn't make too much sense. Um, but for the most part, I, I stand by Maury Terry's um, thesis. I think he's wrong on some point, but overall, um, you know, uh, overall, I think he was more right than wrong. And one last thing on this topic, um, uh, it, 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 no, in, in my opinion, no information that has come out, even, even in this data dump, um, will, can dissuade me from thinking more than one person was involved. And, you know, we all know conspiracy has that, yeah. uh, really bad connotation. It's like, you know, you're, you're a nut, you're a weirdo, um, is all conspiracy means that it's more than one person was involved and that. That's in, in this case, that's, that's all, that's all I'm saying. When I say Son of Sam was, a, uh, is, is a conspiracy story. It, it is in the fact that I believe more than one person was involved and using the, EFTA, uh, using the, um, the New York police department, just using their information to me, it, it, it proves conclusively that other people were involved, uh, starting with the sketches and going down to um, reading the police reports of each shooting. Um, there's, let me see, one, one, two, three, I believe three, three, four of the shootings actually had eyewitnesses, um, either the victims themselves or bystanders. And um, the, the stories just, uh, the, the stories just don't, don't jive with David Parkowitz being the only shooter. And Barkowitz, like Sharon, like Bakowitz stated in the very beginning, he did it all alone and then he changed his opinion or he said in the beginning, I did only two killings. So what is the situation? <laughs> yeah, um, he changed it a few times, the entire story. Uh, and the problem is, the problem actually started already um, 
after his arrest in the uh, how is it called uh, King's King's uh, County Psychiatric Ward. Yeah. yeah, the problem started over there because uh, I can send you this even uh, over there was a woman, a preacher. Yeah, and she was obviously running free between this man and uh, she was alone with Berkowitz at least one time. She convinced him that she's talking with God and um, he should plead guilty. And it's so him to plead guilty. Yeah, yeah. But why? Why she would do that? Why? Yeah, and this is the question and I asked Carl too. And they were, she was in contact with Berkowitz for, for a couple of years. She sold even the letters he was writing to her. The, the, uh, his letters, these letters which he wrote to her, they are all over the internet. You, you can buy them, they are on auction and stuff like this. And she heavily influenced him also um, with theories about demons and stuff like this. Uh, and uh, her profession was specialist for demons. I don't know where she did her PhD. Sorry, this is so weird. You know, in, in a psychiatric unit, so and she made him also a Christian then, or what? Or that had no, she, she, she didn't succeed. She didn't succeed. This came later in prison, you know. But uh, my point is, um, you know, if Berkowitz was uh, at the time of his arrest, he was in a, a really bad condition mentally, yeah? He, he was very tormented. He was very lonely, he was very suffering, and uh, obviously he, he had hallucinations. Uh, to now to, to send this woman to him. Uh, and she gives him more ideas about demons and stuff like this. That's, I, I have no words for this. You, you understand? But, but I mean, a quick question in between. So at the trial. There was no trial. So he just did a plan. Yeah. yeah, I mean, there's a whole story. There's a whole story there too. Yeah. Um, they brought in a psychiatrist to uh, determine if he was um, um, sane enough to stand trial, and yeah. the first psychiatrist found him not not uh, being um, a fit mind to stand trial. So. The DAs didn't like that, so they brought in another psychiatrist, and he found he found Berkowitz not fit to stand trial. Now, at this point, Berkowitz had already pled not guilty. All right. Yeah. Now, so they bring in a third psychiatrist, and he, lo and behold, finds Berkowitz uh, fit to stand trial. And then Berkowitz flipped the table on him and said, "I plead guilty." <laughs> Okay. Yeah, and so, he got only second degree murder, right? Right, so, and, and all and all all, all that is happening 
um, all, all this is uh, being played out during the same time that Sharon just described with this with this woman, um, uh, D Channel. Um, she's been she she is she's no longer with us. She passed away quite a few years ago. Um, I, I really can't add. It, it sounds like Sharon knows more about uh, D Channel than I do. Um, the only thing I can add to the D Channel story, and again, this is. This is what Maury Terry told me. He said that um, a, a big piece of information, but uh, Ma Maury never really talked about D Channel too much. I don't, to be honest with you, um, one thing he did say was like he couldn't figure out how how she got access to Berkowitz, why he's uh, under arrest in a, in basically in a prison ward. Um, you know, a psychiatric prison ward. So it's not only just a psychiatric uh, hospital, it's, 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 it's a prison. And they, they just don't allow prisoners to, uh, especially, especially the son of Sam, um, to walk freely and have visitors. I find that uh, very strange. And so did, so did Maury. Um, later on, um, I'm going to say in the mid, uh, maybe 2005, 2007, I'm not really sure of the time, but more, more you told me that, um, um, that, she, that D had passed away and, um, she basically kind of fell into, um, she died basically, uh, you know, a raving alcoholic. Um, again, I don't know how true that is. Um, um, and I know Sharon mentioned that, uh, D channel stuff is, is on, the internet for sale. I don't believe D Channel was selling it. I think after she passed away, because she, she, and again, I'm not really sure when she passed away, but it's it's at uh, least at least. Sorry, the, Carl. Yes. Uh, when when I when I interrupt you. Sure. On this, um, the People versus uh, David Berkowitz. There's a letter of him to D Channel, and he's describing that um, he's not angry anymore. Uh, that she sold letters. Oh, okay, I stand corrected. Okay. Yeah, uh, okay. so uh, he's not angry anymore, and she told him, yeah, it's for her, for the church, so uh, she sold okay. it. Um, okay, I, I stand corrected. And again, this is, um, this is the beauty of, um, you know, 45 years later, uh, new information's coming out, uh, which, uh, I, f I find incredible, but, um, yeah, I mean, his, his whole side story, uh, son of Sam that, um, that I wasn't aware of because it's in that data dump that came out in June of, uh, 2022. So uh, thanks for clarifying that Sharon. Uh, Sharon, uh, I remember in the beginning, like a year ago, you told me about Charles Manson, Scientology. Uh, Fort Knox. I mean, there's so many things uh, <laughs> were connected maybe to that cult, uh, what is kind of nearly unbelievable. And the lone Fort Knox has 10 murder mysteries basically in the last 40 years. Yeah, so it's, it's like a very, uh, maybe the most doomed US military uh, camp in the history. So, but what, what who created that and what 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 are the connections between that sure um you know i read the Mori, the book of maury terry maybe until the half you know then i stopped for yes. one reason because um he's using uh not the real name he's using a pseudonym 
and I'm uh, I mean I found I found who are these people but um, and the other thing was to connect it to to Manson I don't think there is a connection between Berkowitz and Manson I think this story is wrong connected you know um, okay. it's true it's true uh, Manson he was uh, uh, a member of the church of uh, Scientology and then it looks like he was a member of the process church of the final judgment or at least they were connected because they published an article in their magazine uh, 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 article which was written by by Manson and uh, obviously they were visiting him in prison yeah but don't forget the other thing is Manson was a pimp yeah and Manson was a racist to the core he he wanted to start a race war I don't think that there was, it's, it's so disgusting, you know, his ideas are so disgusting. The same, uh, the author of the Satanic Bible, uh, Bible this, uh, what was his name? Uh, Anton Levay. Yeah, yeah. Also, he, he, he was a racist. He hated black people, the same like Manson. I, I, I cannot understand why people uh, at all bought his book you know and his book is a copy of a few other books uh for example wait i wrote it down i just have a look yeah for for example he copied something of might is right uh it's uh social darwinism you know social darwinism played a big role in uh also in nazism you know uh, and this ideology, he copied a lot of things from Alistair Crowley, from John Dees, and the entire book. I think I was 16 or 17, I, I started once to read a few pages and I throw it away because in my opinion it was bullshit. And uh, I don't understand, I cannot understand it, but uh, obviously in, in the 60s and 70s, a lot of young people were interested in this stuff. You yeah. understand? A swastika tattooed on, on Yeah, yeah. I agree. <laughs> yeah. For um, what it's worth, I agree. You agree, yeah. So I don't see. Yeah, I just uh, just a quick quick story. Um, when I met Maury Terry face to face for the first time in 1994, um, after about 15 minutes uh, of shaking his head and you know we started to get to know each other, um, I told him I said I you know I loved your book, but um, you should have ended it 150 pages earlier. I said I think you. Um, you know, at the beginning of the book, he, in my opinion, he, he crosses every T and dots every I. But uh, when he gets to California and uh, and tries to tie in uh, Manson, um, it was very weak. And I, I think it ruined, to be honest with you, I think it uh, it really hurt his case um, because a, a lot of... Uh, a lot of Maury's naysayers uh, point to point to the whole Manson thing and say he was just you know he just threw Manson in there to you know to to sell the book, um, and maybe that's true. But um, 
Yeah, I, I, I think he, I think he made a, a, a really bad misstep um, tying in, um, tying in Berkowitz to Manson. I mean, I understand why he did it. Uh, as Sharon pointed out, the, uh, you know, Berkowitz did write an article for the Process Magazine. Um, and to pro- Berkowitz, Manson. I'm, I'm sorry, Manson. And, um, and uh, two, two Process members did visit Manson um, in jail. Um, but it's my understanding they visited him saying, to, like, stop connecting, uh, you know, stop connecting um, uh, uh, us to, to you because we, we don't want no part of you. Um, you know, but, uh, yeah, I, I think the California thing is far-fetched. Um, so that's, so that's, that's my opinion. How, how would you describe... Berkowitz, uh, I mean, we're coming to your book in, in a bit, like you waited a long, long time before you released basically your side of the story, The Son of Sam and Me, the truth mm-hmm. that wasn't shot by David Berkowitz. So what made you, what made you write that book after all that years and, uh, and why you, you didn't get shot by him? And uh, yeah. Okay, that's uh, that's a good good uh, good question. I can probably go on for two hours. I'll try to make it. I'll try to make it a little bit shorter. Um, you know, writing a book um, uh, has always you know it's kind of like been in the back of my mind. I remember back in 1980 when uh, I went to that civil civil trial to see uh, you know to figure out percentages. Of, you know, my lawyer said, "Why don't you write a book?" And my response to him was. You know, I might be able to write a, pa- um, a chapter, but I said, I, I, I don't really have, you know, enough information to, uh, to write a book. Um, and then like I said, eight years later, um, Maury Terry writes The Ultimate Evil. And I'm like, all right, well, that's, you know, that's, that's a good story. He has, he has a lot more information than I do. Um, but, you know, fast forward, I, as, you know, I, I mentioned, I work with Maury, um, from from the day I met him until the day he died um, in 2015, um, I, I was on the phone with him uh, three four times a week, uh, pretty much nonstop that all that whole you know twenty some odd period. Um, uh, and, and and we we did come up you know we we continued doing research and we did come up with more information. Uh, that, in my opinion, solidifies the whole conspiracy angle. Um, so fast forward to 2000, 2015, 16, my daughter, actually 2015, my daughter um, was a film student and um, she uh, she had dabbled uh, in high school. She had dabbled in making some short films and some YouTube videos and stuff. But... Uh, she found out when she went to film school that uh, to graduate she had to write a thesis film, uh, so a short a short film. So she decided to do it um, to do the film on me, and uh, so starting I get again it was around 2015 when she started uh, writing a script. She started interviewing me and my friends and my uh, my family, um, so she could write you know, write a, a good, a good story. And during this process, um, 
she said to me, she goes, Dad, you, you know, you should write a book. And I'm like, ah, you know, I don't think I have enough. And she said, you have a story to tell. And um, she goes, I'm going to tell, tell six months of your life uh, in a 15-minute film. She goes, but you could, you could fill a book with, with your story. And, um, and that was the impetus. That's why it took so long. Uh, and, and I can basically thank my daughter for, uh, for uh, pushing me to, to write the book and convincing me that I actually did have a story to tell. Uh, I mean, I have more questions, right? When you met backwards, how mm. was that? Like, did you felt <laughs> like, what was the feeling? Like, is that the guy who tried to shoot me? Or what was your feeling in that moment? Uh, wow, that's good. That's another good question. Um, I guess I would have to back up um, and uh, kind of uh, tell you tell you what it was like um, like driving. Uh, the, the, he's, he's in a prison about two hours north of where I live. So my girlfriend and uh, a friend of mine who's uh, a journalist, uh, he's actually a rock and roll journalist, but a journalist nonetheless, um, uh, we got into the car and drove up there and, uh, as we approached the, uh, prison, um, you know, it's, it's obviously it's a maximum security prison. So it's, it's set out, um, probably about a mile off the, the, the road and, um, you know, just driving into the prison was, um, was scary and eerie. And, uh, you know, if you've seen any, 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 uh, films, uh, Any, any, any films of, you know, going to a prison, that's exactly the way it felt, you know. It's like this big prison looms in, in the distance. And as you get closer, you get to see more things. Uh, the barbed wire, you know, eight foot, 12 foot high barbed wire. Um, when, we, when we pulled into the parking lot, I, I look up um, on top of the building and there's a guard there with a gun, with a, you know, with a, a shotgun. And, um, and, And that, 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 at that particular moment, it did scared the hell out of me. Um, I said, what, you know, what did I get myself into? Um, and then the whole process of checking into the prison, you know, emptying your pockets and putting in a locker, going through security, uh, being wanted and, um, uh, you know, make sure you have no, no, uh, obviously, uh, weapons or, but you couldn't bring anything in. You couldn't bring keys, uh, a pen, paper, nothing. Um, and then you walk through these long hallways with the with the, the metal doors shutting behind you and then a new door opening up. Um, and, and it opens up into this huge room that uh, I best, it, I guess best described, it looked like a lunchroom, um, you know, a cafeteria, um, just a bunch of uh, six foot tables with people sitting on them and the place is packed. And there's one guard sitting there and, um, You know, it's, it's kind of, it was kind of easy to, um, to differentiate who the prisoners were and who the visitors were. Um, on visiting day, you're, you don't have to wear prison garb. You can wear regular clothes. So it wasn't as easy as you might think, but, um, still you could see it would be like, you know, a, a, a wife and two kids and, and a guy sitting across the table from them. And, uh, so we had it, we stood there about five minutes waiting for Berkowitz to come down. And uh, they let him into the, uh, they let him into the uh, a, a, a smaller room, and I thought we were getting special treatment because uh, 
uh, you know, I'm standing in this big room with all these prisoners. Um, it turns out it was just it was just too crowded, so they gave us another room. Um, and within within ten minutes, um, the room filled up with other prisoners, so we weren't getting special treatment. So, you know, we walk in the room, and and there's David Berkowitz, you know, in in the flesh, and um, I really didn't know what to do. Um, so, you know, being a gentleman that I am, I I shook his hand and uh, and I gave him a little bit of a like a man hug, which uh, my girlfriend was not happy about. She, she was she was like, "What are you doing?" <laughs> so, uh, you know, and then we 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 sat down and um, he sat at the head of the table. I sat to his left, and um, my friend Howie sat to his right, and Trish sat at the other end of the table, and we just started talking. And um, I have to tell you, within. Um, um, within within minutes, I it it really didn't bother me, and it, it was it was um, yeah, it it didn't feel like I was talking to a serial killer, you know. It was yeah. he's just he's just a regular, uh, you know, unassuming guy, and we talked about everything. We we talked for three and a half hours, so uh, some of it was just fun. You know, um, one reason why I brought my friend Howie, besides the fact that he interviews people for a living, um, he he um, he actually grew up in Co-op City, where where Berkowitz um, grew up. He's a little bit younger; he's about ten years younger. But um, Howie's um, grandparents were friends with Berkowitz's parents, so um, that came in very handy during the three-hour three and a half hour conversation because sometimes it got a little uh you know i would ask him like a serious question and he would kind of like clam up uh and not want to talk and then how would jump in saying oh remember the candy store that you know we used to go to and and berkowitz's eyes would light up and he'd think oh yeah that was so much fun you know hanging out there or going to this store um yeah so some of the conversation was just regular you know cocktail party uh, talk, if you will. Um, he didn't really give me any good information. Uh, he didn't give me information I wanted, like, you know, who shot me, why why you shot me. Um, but uh, I'm hoping uh, in future uh, future visit, he might he might just tell me. But, but he said he didn't shoot you. Yeah, that's what he said. But he saw me get, he said he didn't shoot me, but he saw me get shot. So I told him, I said, David, you know, many years ago, you said a woman shot me. And I said, now you're telling me that you saw me get shot. So I know you know who shot me and I want to know the answer. And he just put his head down and um, said, I can't, I, I can't. Yeah, Sh uh, uh, Sharon, the same things he pulled with you basically in a way, right? So he's changing his opinions. So what 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 do you make out of this kind of behavior? Um, Uwe, the thing is, is 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 not quite sure who I am. We had some misunderstandings in the past. Um, he didn't understand uh, my my Israeli mentality, and I told him we the Israeli think one of our virtues is that we don't give a <clears throat> and we say what we think we say it clearly never forget mm -hmm. yeah 
uh, and a lot of people try to take my try to take money from the suffering of others from the victims and from Berkowitz. you know that's the you know uh, they they laughed about him yeah this chubby guy who is not so smart and stuff like this but it's not true had power like a bear he was fast like a weasel he has an iq of 118 if you go on the page of the world health organization entire countries don't have his iq and he was underestimated in good and in bad I, I saw some of his letters he wrote before the son of Sam time and he was not f feeling well. He was very tormented. He was uh, very sick. He was very unhappy and he was very lonely. It's, it's really, really difficult to come to a conclusion. I mean, he had a very, let's say, troubled childhood, right? The mother gave him away. Yeah. Uh, and so I think that is one of the reasons why he couldn't really fit in or find found anything. And then he went to the U United States Army to the No, no, no. Uh, the story was different. Uh, they told him that the psychologist told his, the Berkowitz parents, so the, the couple who adopted him, they should tell him that his mother died in childbirth when he's four or five. And they told him, imagine what it is for a child. You tell a, a child who is four or five years old, your mother died in childbirth. And he took it very, very serious. The thing, he had a lot of guilty feelings. He was very connected to his adopted mother and she died of cancer when he was 14 years old. His father, uh, actually, he very fast remarried a woman that he he didn't like a lot. He didn't get along with her. And then he enlisted to the United States Army. As much as I know, he was consuming drugs every day. Also LSD. And LSD is changing the the biochemistry of the of the of the brain he was already troubled he was already lonely and now you take lsd then he came back and uh, his father decided to move to florida and uh, he stayed alone in completely alone in new york his friends from before the army they had their life he was alone he tried to to, to learn in college uh, and something in this time went completely wrong. And also when he was in the army, his girlfriend left him. She later said she was not his girlfriend, but I don't believe this story uh, because oh, she, she didn't want to say that she was his girlfriend because he was the son of Sam. This was the problem. At the time of the arrest, he had a girlfriend. Bernice was her name, right, Carl? I, be I believe so. Uh, I'm not really sure of the timeline, to, to be honest with you. Yeah, and she, uh, uh, Maury Terry is writing about her. Um, and she visited him all the time in prison and she wanted to marry him. And uh, Maury Terry wrote uh, that uh, 
the motel where she was staying, she was a horror for for uh, the employees over there because she behaved like Rita Garbo. She <laughs> she was like, oh, I'm the girlfriend of of the son of Sam. I'm the girlfriend of a superstar. And then they later, in the '86 or '87, they somehow separated. Also, he had a long friendship. I don't know which kind of friendship with this preacher, D. Channel. Yeah, and Maury Terry also wrote that after Bernice, he had another girlfriend. And you know, there are always women uh, who are very fond of serial killers. And yeah, you, me, you understand? Yeah, but let me interrupt you there a little to go backwards a little. Okay. So he had a troubled childhood, went to the army. So then when he worked as a cab driver too, uh, like basically the year before he started killing people or attacking people. So the, the, for me, uh, I did a lot of films about serial murders and I did a, Sharon knows it, knows it here, there was a terror attack in Germany where a guy killed nine migrants and his mother and himself in Hanau. I did the film about this. Uh, what worries me with Berkowitz was it's so not typical for serial murders to shoot people. You know, so you have normally people like the Hanau killer was a racist and he killed nine migrants. He was running Amok, basically. It was an Amok run, what you have a lot in history. But the classical serial murder, like Dahmer, Ted Bundy, all that people, they kind of, it's all about the killing. But shooting is very passive right so it's kind of this kind of like you don't really have an interaction you just shoot and walk so why that gave him the kicker so what is what what, what did you ask him that carl when you met him like like i mean it's kind of a crazy question but what what is the kicker to just shoot people through a windshield or uh, i don't get that <laughs> this, yeah i don't get it either um and the, to answer your first question, no. Yeah, I knew you would say it. I, I, I know I didn't ask him that, and I, that's a, that's a good question to ask. Um, but uh, I, I guess I, I don't know where, where where you start this because if if you believe if you believe that um, if you I don't I don't believe that Berkowitz was driving around for hours on end looking for a sus, you know, somebody to shoot. Um, I think um, I think some some of these uh, some of these were hits. Some of more people that that were talking too much, and 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 some some of the uh, shootings I think happened uh, just to um, to initiate other people into the group. Uh, you know, once when, when, when you're involved in a murder, you're kind of like in the group for life. Um, you know, there's that, and, and I, I think my shooting was like that, but I, but that's, it's a supposition on my part. I, I don't know that for a fact. Um, but I guess, I guess what I'm saying is, yeah, like, it, you're right, it doesn't make any sense. And that, that's why I, I think a lot of the psychiatrist reports are, um, uh, uh, are, not true 
and they're not true on a couple counts. One is I think Berkowitz was telling the doctors um, what what he thought they wanted to hear. Um, uh, I, 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 re- I really think that, um, that I really think other you know people other people were instructing on who, who's who's going to get hit next and um, and 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 where I have no proof. I have no proof of, of that. That's just my opinion. Um, yeah. Tell me about the group. So they lured him in, or how they got him into that group, or how they invited him into that group. Well, they, they supposedly, supposedly John uh, John Carr um, or Michael Carr um, uh, brought him into the, to, into the satanic, uh, you know, group. Um, I think. I think the whole operation, um, if you go along with the conspiracy, which I do, um, I, I, it's, it was like a multi-leveled um, operation. So you had like the foot soldiers, the David Barkowitzes and, and his cohorts who actually did the shootings. Um, I, like I said, I think there was uh, some people were, some some people were actually targeted. Uh, some victims were actually targeted for, for a specific reason. Um, uh, but who, you know, like well, like Donna, Donna, for, for example, like Donna Laurie, the first victim, um, her boyfriend, her, her boyfriend or her ex-boyfriend, they had broken up like a, a month, a month or so before her shooting, um, phone call was received, um, by one of Donna's friends saying Donna's got a week to live and, and she was dead a week later. Her boyfriend or her ex-boyfriend owned a 44 caliber gun. Uh, he also was, um, uh, he also worked for the mob, the mafia, um, on 48. Uh, basically, he, he had, he had something to do with the, um, the pornography. Um, and, uh, of course he was conveniently in, um, Colorado the night of the shooting, but again, you know, if you, that's, that's like the, I mean, uh, I think Al Capone used to do that all the time. He would, um, order a hit on somebody and then go to Florida, you know, and say, it wasn't me. I was in Florida. Um, and, uh, I, I've often wondered about, uh, Donald Laurie's boyfriend because, um, he was in the news and he was exonerated like a couple of days later. Um, and again, I mean, when, when a, a person is murdered, the first suspect is going to be the husband, the wife, the boyfriend, the girlfriend. Um, and then you find out that the guy owns a 44. I don't care. He was in Colorado. It's just, and again, I don't know what the police actually did as far as investigating. I can only tell you what was in the papers. And this, this kid was, um, this kid was exonerated within, uh, uh, certainly weeks, maybe even days of the shooting. Um, and again, this case is loaded with um, loaded with dots, and some of those dots connect uh, very with a very strong line. And some of these dots just they really don't connect. But man, they they certainly uh, make you think. You know, the whole story I just told you about uh, Donna Laurie's boyfriend. I mean. That's, that's, you know, that's, that, to me, that's pretty telling, you know, an ex-boyfriend who's apparently not, not happy that they broke up. He owns a 44. 
Uh, there's a phone call a week before saying she's got a week to live. She's dead uh, a week later. And um, I, I don't know. It's, you know it, I know it's all circumstantial evidence, but uh, if you go through each case, there's uh, there seems to be stories like that, you know, uh, throughout, you know, with the Christine Freund, uh, there was, uh, it was like a love triangle. Um, and, um, that's been documented by the NYPD. Um, there was a wife, um, uh, I don't know, a wife, I got, no, I think it was John, John Deal was having an affair. Um, and, um, Christine and, and, the person she was, he was having an affair with, had a couple letters back and forth, basically, you know, leave, you know, leave, leave my fiance alone, and so on and so forth. Um, uh, it, it, yeah, again, it, there's all, there's dots there. I, I, how strongly you can connect them, I don't know, but um, I mean, it's, it, it's reported that Bakowitz, in a way, it would make sense that he took the fall. And he was very scared, even in jail, that if he's doing a tell-all kind of thing, what he's still not doing, uh, he will get problems in jail. And that mm-hmm. can happen if the mob is involved. Because, mm-hmm. like, I, I mean, the, the cult guys, in a way, they're like dead, right? So, I mean, it's not like they're coming now in the jail and killing him. But right. the mafia is still existing. Oh, yeah. Uh, as always, right? So, and yeah. they, they could do something to him even, even in jail. That would make sense. Why he is so... Because there was a thing with, with Sharon also in the conversations it, with him. It doesn't make really sense normally after so a long time. And he will never get out of jail no matter what. I mean, right. will not happen. Right. So why not come in clean? Completely? Well, I, I, can, I, can, I, I have a few answers for that. Um, and we have three the, minutes, and we have to click on the wait, one last oh time. Oh boy! Okay. So that. yeah. So just you know, I, before I, I get in, get into it, um, uh, I just want to say that uh, Berkowitz is is the the biggest enemy of the Son of Sam research group um, because he changes the story all the time, uh, uh, multiple times over the years. Um, sometimes he's just out and out lying and. It, it was quite evident during my meeting with him. We, we, one thing we all agreed on when we left the prison was uh, he had a really bad tell. I mean, we could tell, we could tell when he didn't know the answer and he was answering, like, I don't know, you know, um, you could tell when he was lying and you could tell when he was telling the truth. He had three very distinct uh, body language. Um, you know, when he was lying, he would put his head down and lower his eyes and shake his head and mumble. It sounded like I can't, I just can't, um, you know. But to get back to the question why why he doesn't talk now, there's a few reasons. One, one, one is, um, you know, there's the code in prison, you know, no one likes a snitch. Um, that's, that's a pretty big reason to keep your mouth shut. Number two, uh, if he starts talking, he, they're gonna have to put him in in protective custody, which means twenty four out twenty three hours in a jail cell by himself, and an hour out in the yard by himself. He wouldn't have access to the library. He wouldn't have access to the kiosk. He wouldn't have access to the emails. So um, 
you know, prison life, I'm sure sucks, but, um, but, uh, you know, the, the few, the few fun things he has left, he would be giving up. The third, re- the third uh, thing is, who is he going to tell it to? Um, I'm the only one, I'm the only one that's asking him those questions. So uh, the short answer would be, well, he could tell you, and that's true. But other than that, um, he's just going to get himself jammed up because what law enforcement agency wants to listen to more of his lies? He's, you know, he's, he's not credible at all. Um, and uh, so, you know, except for telling me what I want to know, which is basically who shot me, why you shot me, and how you found me. Like, did you track me? Those are the three questions I want answered. Um, I'm hoping at some point he'll tell me those answers. But as far as him spilling his guts, um, there's really there's, there's really no upside for him to do it. Uh, I'm just being a realist. I don't agree, and I wish he would spill his guts. But, um, you know, but I understand why he's not. He's not totally ashamed about what he did. I don't see really him regretting what, oh, what I, No, I think I, he's full with guilt. I could, I could tell you, you know, for, for what it's worth, I mean, he was, um, he's, you know, he apologized to me profusely and, um, um, and all three of us were, were, were convinced that he was uh, sincere in his apologies and uh, truly sorry. And if, if he could, you know, if he could, um, I mean, one, one thing he said to me, he goes, he goes, Carl, he goes, I just, you know, when I got out of the army, I just wanted to get married, have kids, get a job and lead a normal life. And he goes, and look what happened. You know, uh, I mean, I, I, I mean, he could be, he could be pulling my leg and, and, um, you know, totally uh, faking me out, but I, I believe that he, he is truly sorry. Um, but again, what, what does that mean? But to go going back to what you're saying about um, you know comparing like Dahmer and and other serial killers, um, this is this is one reason why I I I, I kind of um, you know I. I kind of dislike um, the whole idea of FBI profiling criminals and uh, psychiatrists profiling criminals. If you go back to um, um, 77 and look at newspaper articles um, b- before they caught Parkwoods, um, you had all these psychiatrists like, you know, weighing in on what kind of person they're looking for. And um, just like the FBI doing profiling, I think it's a slippery slope and, and a dangerous thing to do. I think it might be a good tool, um, but um, but it also can, it's a double-edged sword because, uh, um, you know, you, you make this profile based on what you think this guy is thinking or this person is thinking. And, you know, they always come up with the same thing. You know, a 20, you know, a mid-20 white guy um, that lives in his mother's basement and doesn't have any friends and has problems with women. Um, I tell, you know, I mean, I, I don't think it takes a brain surgeon to come up with those things, but now that profile is in everyone's head. And we've been discussing it a little bit, uh, here today. Um, you know, 
where, where did Ed Berkowitz take? Uh, you know, was it was it his the fact that he's adopted? The fact that you know, I mean, there's a, a whole ton of things. But the bottom line is, other people have been adopted. Other people were lied to um, that their mother died in childbirth because apparently back in the day that's what you told adopted kids, um, so they didn't have to, especially if the mother didn't want to be tracked down. Um, but, you know, I think we'd have a lot more serial killers, right? If, if you know, yeah. there, there's something else going on with Berkowitz. It's not just the fact that he didn't like his stepmother. I mean, I didn't get along with my mother. I, I never killed anyone. You know, I mean, I stepped on a few amps. But uh, other than that, I've, I've never killed anything in my life. So, um, I don't know. I just... was, it, was it maybe the drugs? I mean, when Sharon said, I mean, LSD is a heavy, heavy drug, right? I mean, that you cannot mm -hmm. function under LSD. It's like right. everything is basically just laying around. So could, could that change his brain to this kind of like that he turned into a willing killer for a guru who, you know, and, uh, and then the other, the second question, Uh, would be also when you got this targeted killing. So in your case, it was clearly no targeted killing, right? We have nothing to do with these guys, and, and right. Well, no, there's nothing, no, no, right, so, nothing that I'm aware of. Um, but uh, I, I failed to mention this. Uh, some information um, which has been floating around. Actually, the, I believe I believe the police knew about it. I just it um, I just found out about it about a year ago, but uh, about six hours before Rosemary and I met that night, she was on her way to um, a house party with one of her friends, and um, she rushes into the house and tells tells everyone she goes some guy in an army fatigue jacket's been following me, and everyone just like oh you know they just kind of poo pooed it and it's like oh Rosemary you're overreacting and six hours later we were shot at. Um, uh, I didn't put it. I, it's not even in my book because um, I didn't know about it. And what happened was one of uh, a mutual friend of mine and uh, Rosemary's. I've I've known this woman since high school. Um, she came to a book signing. And she, the first question was, why didn't you put that in the book? And I said, what? And she told me the story I just told you. And I said, because I had no idea that happened. Um, so it is a possibility that somebody was following Rosemary. And um, why I got shot is it's, it's just another, you know, just another question that's not, that haven't, hasn't been answered. Or an accident, right? So that Or, they yeah. couldn't control the gun. But so, did, are you still in contact with Rosemary? Is she alive or? Not, she she is. She's she's um she's not doing well uh, physically. But uh, her sister just passed away. Um, uh, uh, I guess about two months ago, and um, I actually you know talked to Rosemary for, for not not long, for like five ten minutes at the at the funeral. Um, What's yeah. she Like were you able? Were you able, and and she was able to get over this, or is it still haunting you? You still have nightmares about it, or what? What? What did? Well, you her her other sister, I'm in I'm in contact with, and um, uh, she tells me that Rosemary that has never, all through the years, has never um, has never wanted to discuss the case. Yeah, so she was silent about it. Yeah. Yeah. And she came to the trial or something, or she was just no. like, 
Did you get off? No, you, you, have, yeah, you have to realize her, her father was a detective and he taught he taught all three, or all, all four of his daughters. Um, you know, the, the least you say, the better off you are. And uh, so, they, you know, he instructed them not to get involved in, you know, especially Rosemary, um, in interviews going on TV, um, you know, and for, for various reasons. Um, uh, you know, back then there was no internet and Rosemary and I didn't have that kind of um, relationship. I'm not even sure if I had her phone number. Um, we would just meet up, you know, in various bars and it was always impromptu. It was never a planned thing. So uh, once once I was shot, I'm in the hospital and I'm recuperating at home. Um, you know, by the time, 10 months later, when I'm able to go out, um, uh, you know, it, it, I, I just kind of fell out of contact with Rosemary. And yourself, like, I mean, you're obviously the subject matter, otherwise you wouldn't wrote a book like a year right. or two years ago. So uh, was it more like you were intellectual interested in it or is it really like haunting you that you're not getting over it and that you it's just like follow you on? Or is it because you didn't get the answers you wanted? Um... I'm certainly not haunted. Um, uh, you There's know, no nightmares and waking yeah, up. Yeah, no, no. I mean, um, you know, obviously, I uh, I do jump if I hear a loud noise, especially behind me. Um, you know, I, I think that's directly related to uh, to being shot. But uh, but I I yeah, I, I very rarely think about like oh you know don't go. I mean, I'll, I'll be as cautious as you would be walking down a dark street that late. At, yeah. Oh, now your sound is gone. Wait. Oh, my, oh. my mistake. I, I okay. clicked mode. Um, yeah, it, it, you know, that nothing I can, um, that there's nothing, uh, nothing that holds me back in my life because of fear of, of what happened to me. Um, but I do have those burning questions. Like, and it's more of like for different, for, for my own edification, you know, why was I shot? Who shot me? And, and I'm really curious as to like how they found us. Like, did they follow us from the bar? Um, did they, was it a name? Was it Carl DeNaro that they were after? Was it Rosemary that they were after? Did they, did they follow her or me for weeks? Um, that, 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 yeah. And the more, the, uh, you know, I mean, I had high hopes of getting the case reopened, um, years, you know, years ago, but uh, every day it, it, that, um, that possibility is, uh, diminishing and I really don't think it's ever going to be reopened. Um, uh, I mean, I think there would have to be a major miracle. Somebody, somebody that was involved coming forward and saying, all right, I'll tell you the story of Son of Sam. Um, and if it cooperated, like what we know, uh, known facts, um, maybe it would be reopened. But let's face it, if you got away with something for 45 years, why, why in God's earth would you, you know, so, would you, you know, fess up now? Do you think that, uh, I mean, we, we're developing a, a, a film a longer time now about Elias Ness' last case in Cleveland a long, long time ago, where the, the butcher of Kingsbury Run, where he was tracking down a serial murder. In the end, uh, a guy was basically 
hanged in the jail cell, a cell they arrested made him the killer, but the real killer was a doctor who was a cousin of a U.S. senator. <laughs> and, he got, and he got protected, basically. Ah, <laughs> you know, that's, so that that's this, interesting, yeah. yeah. You know, and I, I felt like here, in a way, um, if it's, when we, when we put everything together, it looks for me that law enforcement almost on purpose uh, just took Berkowitz off the street and somebody mm -hmm. made him clear, you will be the only guy here ever on trial for the whole thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's my I, gut feeling. Well, there's, there's two, two things to that. And uh, I'm surprised it took this long for, the, for it to come up. Um, but uh, one, one is, um, uh, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of like rich and famous and powerful people, uh, who are periphery players in the son of Sam, um, uh, Roy Cohen, uh, who's, uh, you know, pretty, pretty famous attorney and the mob attorney. Right, right. Uh, you know, he, you know, he, he liked little boys, uh, and, and, you know, it, just to kind of preface it, uh, you know, the son of Sam was to me, to me, it was about trafficking, uh, male prostitution, uh, uh, child prostitution and drugs. And, um, you know, you got Roy Raiden, who's another periphery player. I'm not saying he's a shooter, um, or was a shooter. But he was but, a uh, rapist. But he was, you know, he was, yeah, he, he was, uh, he was a rapist and, um, uh, he used to have crazy parties at his mansion in Long Island. Uh, he would walk around the Hamptons with a black cape and a, and a big, uh, staff. Um, you know, delivery people have reported that, uh, delivering stuff to the house, there would be like, you know, 70 year old men on, on, you know, naked on all fours with a collar around their neck and a dominatrix leading them around. Um, this is long before, uh, son of Sam. Um, so, it's you know uh, you got Abe um, uh, Beams, um, the, who was the mayor at the time. His son um, liked little boys too. Um, so you know you got some government, you got some you know powerful people. Um, that's that's one aspect that I think I think exists. You can make a case for it. And um, one DA had a story too. Right, and Eugene, him, right, Eugene Gold, uh, the yeah. DA from Brooklyn, um, about, I think about 10 years after Son of Sam, um, he was, he was arrested for having sex with a 14 year old girl. Um, he was also very vocal on not reopening the Son of Sam case. Uh, so, and, and I can tell you that not politicians, uh, I, I, I don't really, my circle of friends doesn't reach that, but, uh, I, I have talked to, um, quite a few uh, retired cops who have told me off the record that, um, that other people were involved, uh, in the, in the son of Sam shootings and everyone knew it, but, um, the powers that be, you know, said that it was Berkowitz, that's it, it closed the case. Um, the, the other aspect, uh, which we, we, you know, I, I have very little information on it, but people have, uh, discussed this on the Sutter Sam forums, um, is the, uh, the whole MK ultra, uh, you know, mind control, um, aspect, uh, that is uh, certainly a possibility. 
and you find out that the whatever the battalion or the infantry group that Berkowitz was in in um, in Korea was known as um, you know like a psyops uh, operation and also and you you did mention this earlier about Fort Knox uh, you know he, he leaves Korea goes to Fort Knox and there's um, you know, there's some, uh, besides some mysterious deaths, there, there's uh, certainly some um, CIA, CIA slash, you know, PSYOPs uh, things going on in Fort Knox. So, who knows, you know, and again, that's, uh, you know, we, we probably... What, what is it in your book too? Like, is there uh, uh, in your book, like, chapters about this surroundings of the case? No, no, with my book, my book was... Um, what I said, I, what I, what I wanted to, I set out to write a book about m me being a survivor, um, a victim first and then a survivor and, um, um, and basically explaining, explaining my life, um, as you know, going through life as a, a son of Sam victim slash survivor, um, coupled with my relationship with Maury Terry. Um, when I first started writing the book, I realized that uh, I really can't just go into that aspect of the story without explaining what the Son of Sam is. So what I did was, um, I, uh, I mean, bas basically, I went to each shooting uh, as it was told in the news and the NYPD the day after the shooting. And then... Later on in the book, I go through each shooting with the information that we have today. I pointed out um, facts and, and uh, evidence that was either ignored or, or mishandled um, by, by the police. Um, and in between, there's just like little short stories about me and Maury and our relationship and, um, you know, uh, some people have uh, accused me of like throwing Maury under the bus. Um, I don't think that's true. Um, I think I was very honest on, you know, Maury, Maury Terry was bigger than life. Um, I, I, you know, I knew the man, I hung out with him. We used to go out drinking and um, I've had, you know, I miss him every day to this day. Um, but with that said, he was um, a type A personality. It was his way or no way. He was gonna solve the case. No one else was gonna solve it. Um, he, he used to get, I did an interview um, for um, an author, this guy, Fred Rosen, who wrote a book uh, about serial killers. And one of the chapters is on me. And, um, and when I told Maury about it, he said, he doesn't know what he's talking about. Fred Rosen, who, you know, he doesn't know nothing. I'm I'm in charge of the son of Sam. I know the son of Sam. And that's just the way Maury was. He was, like I said, bigger than life. Um, and we used to get into arguments all the time. Um, you know, uh, I don't agree with everything he said, um, but, uh, you know, I'm sure you have a friend like that, that uh, there's some things that they do that just makes you go crazy, but it doesn't mean you don't like them or you're throwing them under the bus. You know, sometimes friends are assholes. This, that's the way it is. <laughs> and I'm sure Maury had the same thing. Maury used to get pissed off at me if, um, if he would call me and I knew a phone conversation with Maury would be two or three hours. And sometimes I didn't have two or three hours to spend. So I wouldn't call him and I'd get a really nasty email. It's like, you know, 
where, you know, where, where are you? You're not talking to me. And I'd say, you know, we're not married, Maury. I, you know, I have my own life, but yeah. that, that was our relationship, you know? Yeah. And Sharon, I, I, I remember you telling me when you read and read and read more of the letters that, uh, you, you could believe that Berkowitz was the only shooter on all the cases. So maybe, yeah. Yeah. Tell, tell us why you think that. Uh, why I thought this. Um, he wrote uh, very honest letters, you know, um, and he knew a lot of details uh, about the shootings. Uh, the letters, you, you see, this is, uh, at this time, he was uh, very tormented and he was very unwell, let's say like this. Uh, and as I've said before, uh, he, he was a, a strong guy. He had a lot of power. He had a power like, like a bear, you know, he was fast like a weasel and an IQ of 118. He's very intelligent. 118 or 118? 118. So he had, a long, like, like he had a good IQ, but he was not Albert Einstein, let's say. So. <laughs> he was, yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. He was yeah. not Einstein, but he's a very intelligent person. Yeah, he's no dummy, that's for sure. He's a very intelligent person. Uh, he has writing skills, right? And he was writing letters without an end, you know? And, um, but also in these letters, he, he, he wrote, ah, sorry i told you like this and this but that's not true i lied and then i thought and then there are still some questions there is a researcher he says now he said berkowitz was the sole um killer and he said um yeah berkowitz found the names of john carr and of michael carr in the telephone book <laughs> but one thing was disturbing me because um, on Facebook, some somebody posted it on Carl's group. Wheat Carl, the sister, she tried in 2013 to manipulate um, a Facebook group of Yonkers. And I said, why? Why she's doing it? Then this story with this preacher in, 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 in the hospital, Something is completely wrong here. Also, I asked Carl, Detective Kevin Murphy, for example, uh, he said that he made research in the 90s or yeah. 2000s or something like that. 98. This. 98. He knew some people who were in Berkowitz group. And you said uh, Yonkers Police is not releasing anything. Well, <laughs> What they're saying, what they're saying is they don't have anything. Uh, it was destroyed in a flood. Um, uh, interesting. But, but the real truth, the real truth of the story is the files were stolen. Excuse and, me? And, and, yeah, the reason I know this is because um, one of my, uh, one, one of the researchers uh, who is a retired um, cop, not in Yonkers, but uh, in Westchester County, um, was approached by uh a, re uh, a retired uh, Yonkers cop and offered to sell the um, 
the files for ten thousand dollars. This was this was about ten years ago. Um, yeah. Uh, so the police stole the files. Yeah. Uh, to let them disappear or whatever. Uh, yeah, and I don't think anyone really cares because I, uh, I have. Uh, let's just let's just say uh, I, I have a, I have a pretty good idea of of who the guy is that has the files. And um, when I offered it up to uh, some other Yonkers um, Yonkers cops, uh, I said, "Yeah, I'm not going to release unless you're going to do something about it." And um, they said, they said oh, there's not a whole lot we can do. So I said, well, all right, good, because there's no, there's no point in putting myself in the middle of something that's not going to go anywhere. You know, I just feel if I know, if, or if I think I know who has these files, and I tell you and you don't do anything about it, what's the point of telling you? Um, um, and, uh, and we did all we did we did all for the buy to buy the files, uh, oh. and uh, I like I said I don't know this guy, uh, I know his first name, but uh, I'm I'm in touch with with somebody that is in touch with him and has seen the files, so I'm pretty sure it's true. But um, yeah, I mean in this case there, there's a reason why forty you know forty whatever forty seven years forty six years later we're still talking about it. Um, because there's so, there's so many, um, there's so many unanswered questions. Um, we could, we could talk for hours on yeah. the evidence, uh, you know, uh, you know, Sharon was talking about Murphy, uh, you know, earlier and, um, you know, he, he, he brought, he tracked down, uh, seven, seven people who, who were again, peripheral players, maybe even possibly a shooter or two. Um, they all lawyered up. Um, one guy said, uh, you know, I lawyered up, uh, prove it. And, uh, and another guy committed suicide. Um, so again, it doesn't make him guilty because he committed suicide, but, uh, it certainly makes you wonder, um, you know, uh, how these, uh, you know, coincidences. Yeah. There's just, there's just tons of them. I mean, one of the things before we wrap it up for, for now, maybe we, coming back to the to this podcast again after a while because I'm sure after we release it we will get a lot of feedback mm -hmm. and we'll get more information we can work with and, and, and regroup and do it but in the very let's say months ago I said like how big is the chance that you have the cars but like that kind of cult <laughs> and you and, and by basically but they would have nothing to do with what Sam Berkowitz did as son of Sam. You know, I mean, we have to think that through too. Like, so what, how big is the chance that he would be involved in something like this? But at the same time, they had no clue that he was the son of Sam. And he had, and, and he just did the killings completely out of his personal biography, hate of woman, whatever, too much drug abuse. I mean, it's definitely, uh, worse to at least as a possibility to have it, you know. So, mm -hmm. what do you think about that? As, as maybe the final thought for our today's. Well, the only the only thing I can say is, I mean, there's a lot of theories on how Berkowitz got involved and or the Carr brothers involved. Um, the, the, I mean, there is some information. Uh, uh, there's two detectives in North Dakota 
where John Carl was stationed in the Air Force. He was a, a mechanic. And um, there's there's plenty of interviews going back to that data dump that People versus David Berkowitz. Um, there's, there's interviews in there from several people that knew John Carr that say Berkowitz was in Minot, North Dakota with John Carr and he introduced him as Berkey. Um, this is all in 79. This isn't. Like, but they know each other. It's 100%. I mean, right. it, well, it no, 100%. but the, but, but the, the funny thing is, we they, call, they, they told him kill everybody, basically. But wait a minute. The, the, okay, that, we'll, we'll get to that. But um, yeah. the reason I'm, I'm bringing that up is because Wheat Car, the sister, um, swears that her brothers don't know um, Berkowitz, never knew Berkowitz, and Berkowitz just pulled the name out of the phone book. That is so preposterous that I, I, I can't even, I mean, I, it's totally ridiculous. Yeah. You know, and there's and there's proof that they did know each other. Now, now we get to the, the you know the, the other. So just because they knew each other, the, you know, how do you know they killed each other? Well, I I don't I don't know that for a fact. But um, the first place I tell you to go look is look at the sketches. How the how the heck did Donna Damasi and Joanne Lamino? provide police with a sketch. I realize all the issues with a police sketch, you know, it's not always that accurate, but these two, these two sketches look just like John Carr. And there's another sketch that looks just like Michael Carr from another shooting, the, the, uh, Judy Posito, Sal, uh, Sal Lupo shooting. Um, isn't that a very strange coincidence that, uh, you know, of all the people in the world, yeah. The sketch. The sketch looks like someone that that lived around the corner from Berkowitz. Yeah. I don't know. Again, you 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 draw your own conclusions. I'm not saying I solved the case. I'm not saying John Carr, Michael Carr. Um, well, actually, I am saying that they they were involved. Um, and but I think I think the circumstantial evidence is 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 there. Can, you know, can I put a gun in their hand? No, I can't. Um, you know, but uh, but I witnessed. You know, put them on a place where people got shot. What's that? But but you can put them into the location, basically, where something happened. Yeah, I mean that's that's how they got the sketch. They were there. You know, yes. uh, you know. Yeah. So and again, I know a police a police will be the, the the first to tell you, um, and they say you know monetary naysayers will tell you, well, wow, those sketches aren't that accurate. I, and I agree, they're not that accurate. But uh, it's awfully it's awfully strange that um, that. I, I can match up. I can match up real people's photos to those sketches, and they all have something to do with Son of Sam. They all have something to do with David Berkowitz. They all have something to do with Yonkers. Um, it's it's you know, and those sketches were made the day after the shootings. Yeah. So. Yeah. So I think for today. Uh... <laughs> we leave it at this. Sounds yeah, good. We have to continue. <laughs> no, I know, but, but I mean, it was a very... It was... Uh, a, Carl is very oh. interesting. Yes, and uh, so for the, the viewers, the son of Sam and me, from Carl De Niro, uh, the truth about why I wasn't shot by David Berkowitz is available. You can all buy it and order it. And uh, yeah, I thank everybody. And then... Uh,